This is a talk by Joel titled, Transforming Emotions 7, True Nature, Part 2, recorded October 2009 at the Cloud Mountain Retreat Center in Castle Rock, Washington. So is consciousness a thing? Anybody find any attributes, characteristics? Nope. No. Nope. Doesn't move. Doesn't move. Ah, interesting. Yes? I don't think you can even say it doesn't move. I don't think movement or non, you know, motion or stillness have anything to do with it. Very interesting. At a certain point, these categories just don't apply one way or another. Even change or changelessness. These great masters all said it doesn't change, but that's a remedy for our idea that we go in and out of consciousness, we lose consciousness, and we have consciousness. And if we really go examine it, it doesn't change, but that doesn't mean it's like static or stand still either. Yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. Uh, but it's interesting because before we meditate, aim for, or have been meditating, we aim for uh, clarity and stability, as if those are attributes of consciousness, but they're more the opposite of the mind, you know, the instability or the unclarity of the mind. Yes. Get rid of, not stability or clarity of consciousness. Well, yes, and that's why I try to be very careful of making a distinction between attention and consciousness. Because in a certain sense, attention does move. We can follow an instruction to place your attention on this or that or whatever. But when we go to investigate it, attention is really, what's it made of? It's made of awareness. It doesn't have other qualities. And what is awareness? Awareness is just consciousness. So we make these distinctions that aren't actually there, but we do make them for a purpose. And the purpose is to be aware in the moment when things aren't there. Because we have no problem of being aware of things being there, but awareness is not usually aware of itself when things aren't there. Now you see already I'm getting completely tripped up talking about awareness being aware of awareness. But there you go. Steve, were you going to say something? So did I. Can you do it? What you tell it to do? <laughs> but I mean, and I experienced this um, thought arising. I mean, it's so quick that it doesn't have a you know a, a one thing leads to enough the other directly. But I intend to direct it someplace 
it seems to follow that intention. And the, and the counterpoint to this, or something related to it in the same theme, is the, the sleepiness and lurking and actually, like you said, losing consciousness and so on. So far in my experience, it isn't the case that consciousness is always there. I mean, I can't talk about this in any meaningful way, but it seems like it, it goes different. It does change in a big way. Right. I can't, I can't tell you anything more about it, but it definitely is different. The real solution to these are to employ practices. When you say, for instance, it seems like, well, I can direct consciousness, then the practice is to go try to find that I that is directing consciousness. And you ask basically the same sorts of questions. What are the qualities of that I? I mean, does it have any form or shape? Or, you know, what is it? As for losing consciousness, when you actually do lose consciousness, let me know. Okay? Just tell me, oh, no consciousness is present now. Well, I can't. Why not? Because it's gone. Well, how do you know it's gone? Well, I only know afterwards. Ah, that's right. So it's a mental construct, isn't it? But it is, I mean, you say that, and I get what you're saying, but in, in experience so far for me, it's something more than that. I, mean, I don't want to stop with what you say about that, because it isn't quite right. So you investigate. See if you can ever experience unconsciousness. If that is ever any component of your experience. It's not that I lose consciousness, it's, it's that it changes. It, is it what? Changes? It changes in a fairly striking way, you know, the qualities of it, and then, then I do have qualities. Well, okay, the, again, see if it's actually the consciousness that is changing, or if the contents of consciousness are changing. Right. Well, there's no question the contents of consciousness change all the time. That's why we spend all this time meditating on impermanence. As Chung Tzu said, it's a mad gallop of change. <laughs> But does the consciousness itself change? That's the question. That is good. (laughs) And and this is a UFO. Because at a certain point, all I can do is direct you to go look. It's a UFO. You find out. So there's no question that things change. But we're trying to find, first of all, what doesn't change as the first set of instructions directed us to. And second of all, what isn't a thing? If that's the case at all. Maybe everything is just always changing, and they're all things coming and going, and there is nothing else. That's my point. There is nothing else. (laughs) We want to find that nothing else. So, any other questions? Okay, let's go on then. Here's the third set of instructions. These are descriptions of what to do when you encounter pure consciousness or your true nature. Here's the Tibetan master Jingmei Lingpa. Is that his Jingmei? God, I got that right. Amazing. When awareness arrives in the innate space, analytic meditation naturally ceases. The watcher disperses into emptiness. How delightful, free and easy the space of non-dual awareness. Hold on, girl. Hold her down. 
Excuse me. Again, I'll do one more time. I'll do one more time. When awareness arrives in the innate space, analytic meditation naturally ceases. The analytic meditation is by like we're asking these questions. Well, does consciousness have color here or this or that? So when you actually get there, that all just ceases. The watcher disperses into emptiness. I gave an instruction and the eye is obeying the instruction, hopefully. <laughs> the watcher disperses into emptiness. How delightful, free and easy, the space of non-dual awareness. We had the same thing in other traditions, basically. Listen to Meister Eckhart. You should love God as he is a non-God, a non-spirit, a non-person, a non-image. But as he is a pure, unmixed, bright one, separated from all duality. And in that one, we should eternally sink down out of something into nothing. Doesn't that sound like Jigmei? The watcher disperses into emptiness. And here's Lali Shori. She says, Pursue the essence of yourself. Chitti, which is pure consciousness. Pursue the essence of yourself. Chitti, the great void, exists everywhere as one. O Lali, merge into the oneness of Chitti by giving up the thought of two. So what we're going to do is try to follow these instructions. We are going to try to contact this pure awareness, the ground of all this phenomena that's arising, this non-thing that doesn't arise, doesn't change, and so forth. And when we contact it, we are going to just let that I that has come and found it say, oh goody, I found it now. We're going to let that just self-liberate and just merge into that ground. Now we're getting instructions that you really have to feel your way into. We're getting beyond where words can take us. So, let us just try it here. So let us begin with a little concentration.
let attention expand into the field of bodily sensations. Be aware that each of these sensations is a phenomena, a thing, with qualities and attributes, rises, passes. attention to expand into the auditory field. sounds are present. That each arises and passes. Each has qualities and attributes. Each is a thing. Tastes or smells are present. Be aware that they come and go. They, of 
qualities and attributes. They are things. Let attention expand into the visual field. Become aware that the visual field is filled with things with its own attribute or quality. Let attention expand into the mental field and become aware of mental phenomena arising and passing. phenomena have their own qualities, attributes. Images, memories, thoughts can be charged with emotional qualities and attributes. We can distinguish one from another. Now expand attention into the total field of consciousness awareness. Being aware of all the phenomena, the things that arise and pass.
know, shift attention from the foreground of arising and passing things to the consciousness which is aware of them, the consciousness which is no thing, which has no attributes, no qualities, no characteristics, but which is ever-present and unchanging. Now allow the I, the one who seems to be watching all this, the observer, the witness, to disperse into that consciousness, to sink down out of something into nothing. with that no thing. Tibetan master Zha Petrol Rinpoche writes, 
First, allow one's mind to settle into a relaxed state without thoughts, neither diffusing nor concentrating them. While in this condition, a state of equanimity and complete relaxation, suddenly utter hut, which strikes at the thought forcefully and abruptly. How marvelous! There remains nothing else except a sharp, startled awareness. This startled awareness is directly penetrating. Nothing arises that impedes it. It is indescribable. One should recognize this as the immediate intrinsic awareness, which is the Dharmakaya itself. This is direct introduction to one's own nature. So, uh, what was your experience with huh? the startled, clear awareness? Been there, done that. Yeah. What's that? Been there, done that. Been there, done that. I see. A, a jaded practitioner. <laughs> Been there, done that. Wow. Can you uh, describe a little? No, she's already shaking her head. Um, I would say that it was an experience—an experience only, unfortunately, at last, but of just being being. Oh. No sense of an I being a person being a me, an I, just very easy. God, it worked. It's the first time it's ever worked. (laughs) Wow, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Well, we have to thank the Tibetans. Yes? That's what it's designed to do. It's designed to stop the mind dead in its tracks, at least for an instant, and hopefully in that instant there'll be some you know, glimmer of recognition of that awareness that's left when everything else is stopped and gone, 
that's the introduction. That's the nature of mind. So if you got the stop part, great. Anybody else have any uh, anything to report? Well, it actually did stop me for stunned for a moment. Stunned. That's it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh. No, this is my blind eye. You really have to, you know. Yeah. That's usually what I do. I was trying to change. Okay. Anyway, um, I always, well, not always, but when you do that, it feels like I just dissolve. Like, it's like a tingly kind of, everything just dissolves. Sort of like emerging. Yeah, that's it. So something like maybe Lolly described. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like sinking down out of something into nothing the way yeah. <laughs> you see they're very poetic descriptions but actually they mirror experience thank you in any oh yeah go ahead <laughs> um, I feel like in a lot of my practice I observe a lot of effort almost as if I'm uh, do I? Almost as if I'm after the fruit. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I know you've done this several times and it always has the same effect on me. I I experienced this time such a it was like a crystal clarity without any effort whatsoever. None. Effort just over. Exactly right. It's that crystal clarity and the point is you can't get there through effort because effort is destroying the crystal clarity. If you're making effort, there's no crystal clarity. There's effort. It's when effort ceases that there's crystal clarity. So take a lesson from that. That's a very valuable insight. Now, see if you can apply that in your practice when you get to a point where you're after the fruit and it's not there and then you want to just become aware of what is there. Well, it's a lot of effort. If you can become aware of that just in that moment, oh, and drop the effort, nothing's left but crystal clarity. Now, notice we're giving high, refined teachings here. Now, I said before, there are a lot of teachings running around about drop the effort, just sit back, relax, enjoy Rigpa, you know. But unless you know what you're doing, you just fall into laxity. Gross laxity, usually. You get very relaxed, you know, your mind's drifting around. That's not crystal clarity. And it's actually not even effortlessness. You don't know it, but you're making a lot of effort. Your mind is making a lot of effort to maintain a sense of identity. It doesn't feel like muscular effort, but our delusion depends on our effort to keep it going. If we just stop for a second, really stop at the effort at that level, oh, well, it clear up in an instant because it's a result of our effort. So this is, we're not talking about gross effort here. We're talking about just what you're beginning to notice about your practice. If you notice that there's a grasping after a fruit, you know what I mean? So you're getting more and more refined here. So you can experiment with that and then you can learn from what happened when the effort stopped. Oh. Okay. First of all, this is a traditional way 
that, at least from the Dzogchen school, uh, Tibetan masters introduced their students to the nature of mind. But it's a very tricky thing. Like your first reaction was done, not been there. And of course, if someone does it too much, uh, you get used to it and it doesn't have the same effect. So you have to be very judicious in the way you use it. But there's also another thing about this I'll pass on to you. The instruction is that you should do it. He said at a certain point, when you're totally relaxed in this, then utter this one syllable, and it'll cut right through the thoughts and everything. So I practiced this. I practiced this for about three months. And it was extremely difficult. The trick is you have to be able to say the hut spontaneously. If your mind says, now I'm going to say the hut, it doesn't work. So the hut has to come just the way it comes from someone else, so that you don't expect the hut. Anyway, I did practice for a while, and I got to the point where I could set the intention. It's a little bit like dream work, to become lucid. I could set the intention, I could sit down to meditate, and then at some point, boom, it would happen. So I pass that on to you, that you can develop this ability to do it, but again, if you overdo it, you'll wreck it. So don't wreck it for yourself. But it is a, a legitimate method of directly encountering that consciousness we've been talking about. Now... This is our last night of teachings. Tomorrow we'll have a little sum up in the morning and the rest of the day will be solo day. And then on Sunday we have our sharing. So it's your last chance really to ask questions about the teaching. So if any of you have any questions uh, or if you want to share something that happened, the idea you want some clarification, that's fine. Save any big sharing though for Sunday. Yes, Steve. In your um, <coughs> guidance about the, I think, two of them, um, I'm forgetting exactly what the sort of point of each of them was, but you know, one was about um, thing, no thing, maybe, and the other was about changelessness or something. Sorry. But at any rate, the point is you said shift your attention from the foreground to the, the background. Right. And... Um, you know, that, that immediately produces this paradox that you can't attend to what you're using to attend. I mean, did you really mean to do that? It's impossible. <laughs> well, yes and no. It's a very nice segue, but that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But first of all, let's get a grosser sense of what it might mean to shift attention from one plane of experience to another. So everybody look at whoever's across from you. Now, try to withdraw your attention halfway between yourself and that person and focus on the space of this room in which all this stuff arises. Now, in a certain sense, you can't focus on the space. There's nothing there to focus on. And yet, there is a kind of shift, and, and you get a shift in perspective where 
what was prominent was the things, and now there is just a sense, a, a more of a sense of the space with the things being less prominent. Was that the case? Was that your experience? Okay. So that's a gross example of what this slight shift of attention is about. Now, the trouble is, the space we're talking about here is not the physical space of anything. It is the space of awareness itself. The space of consciousness itself. So in this respect, you're right. How can consciousness attend to itself? It's just like saying, say, here's a flashlight. There's Gene there. There's Jim. It's a very weak beam here, but I can see a little bit. What? You can see it. Yeah, okay. I'm going from my point of view. Anybody have your flashlight with you? Get your flashlight out. <laughs> That's from my old revolutionary days right away. I'm unarmed. <laughs> okay, so now just flash it around. So, you know, pick out some things that you can... Uh, yeah, right, that's nice. So there's a statue over there. Okay. Okay, now shine the light on itself, on its source. <laughs> right? So this is like attention. Attention goes out here and here and here. But in a funny kind of way, I mean, this is horribly gross, but if I turn the light out, if I think of it anyway, as the light returns to itself by not paying attention to anything. So in a certain sense, we can turn the light of attention back to its source. It's not really turning it back to its source, it's sort of letting the attention drop back into its source. Attention is made out of awareness. Attention is made out of consciousness. So we're not discovering consciousness as a thing out there. We're discovering it as what is aware of the things out there. Is that? It sounds like you're just saying, stop using it. Well, yes, you could try that. That's a nice instruction to play with. Stop using attention. What? Yeah. Good instruction. I think Dr. Wolf once said something like, you have to dissolve the very power of representation or something like that. That's very useful to these people. You got that? <laughs> Dissolve the very power of representation. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> yes? I was um, experiencing something that's just along this line that I was going to ask you about. It was sort of my idea of awareness of awareness. But I didn't know if that was really just still having another person in there, you know, the eye, but I was just looking at awareness, awareness, looking at awareness. Awareness, say that again? Well, awareness, looking at awareness. So what did awareness look like? Just open, free, space. Space. 
Well, again, the language gets tricky. But spaciousness is certainly a clue. When attention is really focused on something, there usually is not a spacious quality. As attention begins to drop back and to open up and those other kinds of words we use, we certainly do start to get a sense of great spaciousness. So I'm not sure that awareness, in your case, really became aware of awareness, but spaciousness indicates a quality of a relaxing of attention anyway, and in that sense, a starting to drop back. Yes? I I relate to, I believe, what Deanna's saying, that um, it's happened quite a bit on this retreat for me, but there's this almost intensity being very aware that there's no, I mean, I wouldn't put it exactly like she did, but there's no thing to be aware of. But I feel this awareness that there's no object in it, so I would have phrase it the same way. I mean, am I missing the point? I mean, I was, yeah, am I missing the point? I mean, it's, it's, I would have said it's awareness of awareness. In other words, the only thing I'm aware of is that well, awareness. Well, the, the missing the point is, again, what I said. We are uncovering opportunities when we do this, and the point, so to speak, is the recognition of what that awareness is, which is beyond words, but you have no doubt in your mind. It's not some amorphous, well, that's kind of interesting. It's a Aha, my God, here it is. And that, as I said, that is beyond instruction. We just create the opportunity and see if that uh, manifests. Uh, One thing that you can always remember that is uh, an excellent piece of advice that does come from Dr. Wolf, when you're looking for consciousness, awareness, your true nature, yourself, whatever, anything that appears as an object before consciousness can't be it. So if it's something gross, you know, if you look at your hand, that can't be it. But it can even be something subtle, like an idea of consciousness, or even a feeling, like a feeling of peace. Now that could be a very pleasant thing, it could be very subtle, it's sort of amorphous, you have a hard time describing it, or spaciousness, the feeling of space. But if it can come and go, then it's an object, technically speaking, an object before consciousness. It was there and it's no longer there. So that ain't it. And if you ever think, ah, this must be it, and if you're thinking, oh, this must be it, it certainly is not it. <laughs> but if, you, if that's the case, then just make the inquiry, ask yourself, well, who is experiencing this? And it's like trying to turn the light back on yourself. So you can self-correct, you can use skillful means to not fall in any uh, misidentification of something that's you that isn't you. That at least is a way to arm yourself against mistaking very, very subtle states feelings, whatever. There's still objects before consciousness. So this practice that we were doing whenever we were doing it, this morning? Or this afternoon? Or this morning? It doesn't matter. When? (laughs) We did different practices where you were saying what color is it, does it have a distinction, blah, 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 and... 
Yes, this morning. Whatever arose at that point, that wasn't it. Exactly right. And whatever arose... Oh. (laughs) And whatever arises at any point isn't it. Then why are we doing that? Well, I'm going to tell you in a moment. So, for example, when you say, ha! And then there's this sense of something different, and then that difference, whatever that was, fades. That's not it. That's not it. That was the experience. Now, right in the center of that experience, it was it, but you didn't recognize it, so it, like, covered up again. The experience, the bodily, mental experience, and all that, that is not it. But the point is, if we look directly into that, we don't see anything, and that is it. (laughs) Now, any other questions about practice here? Yeah. Okay, so, now, uh, I'm going to really confuse you, because uh, you think it's paradoxical for awareness to go looking for awareness, but you follow very well the fact that we can focus attention on phenomena, and we can turn attention back here, looking for our true nature in here, and so forth. But actually, all the phenomena is our true nature. And you can make an inquiry about that. Isn't the phenomena completely inseparable from the attention? If you give something a lot of attention, the phenomena grows in a certain sense stronger. If you withdraw the attention, it grows weaker. You might be attending to something else completely, and it's only very peripherally on the edge of attention, but if you retract your attention completely, it's gone. Like when you go into dreamless sleep. So phenomena is really inseparable from attention. Does everybody follow what I'm saying here? Who said that? Okay, so this is a UFO. You investigate this. Can you just explain it again or a different way? Okay. When we talk about attending to something, some object, some phenomena, we're talking as though there's a difference. Like the phenomena's here and attention's here and attention goes and uh, shines on it, right? But if we really examine it, we never have phenomena without attention. Do you see what I'm talking about? The phenomena can get pushed aside, it can get weaker, I mean, in terms of intensity of experience or vividness or something. But if we ever withdraw our attention completely, quote, I see I still have to talk this way, though they were separate, the phenomena disappears. The phenomena is dependent on the attention. The attention is consciousness, is awareness. It's not made up of anything else. The phenomena is dependent on the awareness, on the consciousness. It's inseparable from it. Yes? Is this a place where the observed and the observer are exactly the same? In fact, there's no observer and observed. It's just... This isn't the place. I mean, this is always the case. You're absolutely right. And you can either say the observer is the observed, or you can say there's no observer and there's nothing observed. And it's identical. You're saying the same thing. If I had a blackboard here, and I drew a circle on it, 
and I defined everything outside the circle as the outside, and everything inside the circle as inside, and then I erased the circle, what's inside and what's outside? There is no inside and outside. Or you could say the inside is the outside and the outside is the inside. Right? So, uh, in a way, all this talk is nonsense looking for your true nature. Your true nature is everywhere. It's everything. You can't get away from your true nature. How can you possibly get away from your true nature? How could we possibly get away from our true nature? Can a, a tree get away from its true nature? Can a rock get away from its true nature? Can the mountain get away from its true nature? What are we thinking about? Let me read you some, uh, some things that mystics have said about this. Here's Garb Dorje, great Tibetan master. Whatever may arise or appear as external phenomena is merely one's own state of existence that manifests itself. Now, isn't that exactly the opposite of what Dr. Wolf said? What did Dr. Wolf say? Well, what did, what did yeah. he say? <laughs> <laughs> it was the first thing he said. <laughs> what, whatever... Whatever object appears in front of consciousness cannot be your true self. There you go. Yes. Didn't you just say the opposite? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Well, no wonder we're so fucked up. <laughs> I told you I was going to confuse you. I told you yesterday, these are the high teachings and you're not going to like them. You're right. <laughs> bring them on. Yeah, bring them on. Here's Zen Master Wang Po. These mountains, these rivers, the whole world itself, together with the sun, moon, and stars, not one of them exists outside your minds. The vast chili cosms exist only within you. So where else can the various categories of phenomena possibly be found? Outside mind, there is nothing. And here's Shankara's personal testimony after waking up. Now, finally and clearly, I know that I am the Atman, whose nature is eternal joy. I see nothing, I hear nothing, I know nothing that is separate from me. And here's how Rumi puts it. I sought round the world for others and reached certainty. There are no others. The buyers are all a single buyer. The bazaar has but one aisle. The whole world is indivisible. The whole world's harp has but one single string. <laughs> Here's uh, John Scottis Aragina. He's a 10th century uh, Christian mystic. I'm just reading you, by the way, a piece. This goes on for pages. Everything that is understood and sensed is nothing else but the apparition of what is not apparent, the manifestation of the hidden, the affirmation of the negated, 
the comprehension of the incomprehensible, the utterance of the unutterable, the access to the inaccessible, the understanding of the unintelligible, the body of the bodiless, the essence of the superessential, the form of the formless, the measure of the measureless, the number of the unnumbered, the weight of the weightless, the materialization of the spiritual, the visibility of the invisible, the place of that which has no place, the time of the timeless, the definition of the infinite. And he goes on and on. I'm just giving you a taste of it. John Scottus Erigina. So, what he's saying is, and what we are missing, and why Dr. Wolf gave this instruction about whatever appears as an object before consciousness ain't it, is our trouble is, it's all already here. There's nothing that is hidden that isn't right here now. Our trouble is, we're blind in one eye, you might say. We focused on the phenomena. And we don't see the ground of the phenomena. And so we're only experiencing, I'm talking very crudely here, we're only experiencing half of reality. And that half of reality, without the full vision of reality, appears fragmented, chopped up, isolated, meaningless, all the uh, stuff that we, you know, uh, that we don't like about the world. And then we, because we don't see the ground, feel like we are just some one little object or creature or something running around in all this stuff, banging into everything. And it's banging into us. So that's why all these mystics direct us to turn attention, quote, inward, to find the source of attention, to find that ground of awareness, the unmanifest. We know the manifest. What about the unmanifest? We see the definite. What about the infinite? We're aware of the material, but what about the spiritual? That's what's missing. And it's only missing because we're not looking in the right place. It's not truly missing from anything. So this is why these teachings are constantly directing us to ignore all that out here and come look in here. But when we come look in here, what we discover is that what's in here is all out there. That's the manifestation of what's in here. The form of the formless. This is a movie that you wrote, produced, starred in, Directed, did the sound for, the lighting, the makeup, the hair, the costuming, set design, everything. So, what we're going to do tonight is we're not going to look in here. We're not going to try to find no thing or the changeless or anything else. We're going to recognize that this is one hell of a cosmic movie and we're going to sit here and enjoy it which is what it was meant for. Here's what Lady Soigel says. All this is nothing but clear light's natural radiance. All this. There is no reason to react at all. Meaning react by grasping or pushing away. It's all yours. It's all you. 
Since all activity is my ornamentation, I should remain in mute meditative absorption. And I'll add, and enjoy it. So, let's try this. Okay. Lights, camera, action. 